0: What's up, folks? Welcome back to another episode of the Water Cooler. We've got a lot to talk about this week. Unfortunately, we have to kick it off on a somber note with the deaths of Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt. Terry Funk passed away at the age of 79. He was a former NWA champion in the late 70s, he was champion for 14 months was better known and for his later career work as the hardcore icon who pioneered and helped advance the popularity of the hardcore craft of pro wrestling. ECW, one of the most popular companies in the late 1990s, or early 2000s, he was one of the main mainstays and figures that helped to get ECW off the map. And a couple of matches I feel like would make for great performances of the day would be his matches against Ric Flair, his famous I Quit match where Terry Funk had been out of action for a while and he was working as an announcer, but all of a sudden he turned on Ric Flair while he was interviewing Ric Flair. Powell drove him onto a table, which at the time was crazy. People thought that Ric Flair was seriously hurt. It was a whole big to-do. People were super excited about the match it was probably the hottest angle in wrestling of the year definitely in the top three of that year and they finished off the feud with the classic i quit match where rick flair beat terry funk by making him say i quit you should definitely check that out he also wrestled catniss jack aka mick foley one time in a c4 explosive death match in japan as well as once wrestling sabu in a barbed wire rope match so like i said terry funk took hardcore wrestling to the next level and was one of the toughest son of a guns to ever step foot into the wrestling ring his father terry funk senior was also a prolific wrestler as well as his brother dory funk junior who was a four year long NWA champion back in the 70s and arguably was the more successful in his prime than his brother Terry was though Terry was going to have the longer career which would benefit from being able to be on national television but just we should take the time this week to remember the dirty old funker And all the contributions that he made to wrestling over his 79 years, he'll be very missed. Unfortunately, while Terry Funk had 79 years with which to make his impact, Bray Wyatt had only 36. So Bray Wyatt passed away this week due to a heart attack relating to issues that he had had previously. He had a heart condition and developed a serious case of COVID-19 which exacerbated said heart condition and contributed to his heart attack. Triple H leaked the news on Thursday and it was just such a shock, especially as someone who just made a really big comeback earlier, uh, not this year, but towards the end of 2022 and was marked for big things. People were really invested in what he was gonna do, where his uh, future would go in the company after he had been gone for a while. Triple H brought him back in, but quickly he disappeared off of TV. And many people were confused, upset. They felt like he was being wasted. I know he was supposed to wrestle Bobby Lashley at WrestleMania this year. Those plans fell through. And it seems like it was due to his struggle with COVID and his health issues, which we now know about. And it's just sad that, one, he passed away to begin with, but also that. He had so much negativity being put towards him and the company on his behalf in his last couple of months, which was all due to the fact that the fans weren't aware of what was happening, and it's just really regrettable that such a great, promising young star was cut short in his prime, and also that he had four children and they will now have to grow up without a father so just condolences to bray wyatt's family and we'll never forget the classic matches he had against people such as daniel bryan john cena the undertaker randy orton and it's just a tremendous loss to the wrestling community because he was one of the most visionary performers that we've seen in the sport in ages I mean, the work that he did with the Firefly Funhouse, The Fiend, it was just like something out of a horror movie, and I know many people have said over the years that he would have been more at home in Hollywood than he would in wrestling, and I would have loved to have seen how his career as a Hollywood writer could have gone, but if you're in the mood to check out some wrestling, check out some Bray Wyatt, definitely watch his match with Daniel Bryan at the Royal Rumble in 2014 his match with John Cena at WrestleMania 30, his match with The Undertaker at WrestleMania 31. (laughs) Now getting on to current sporting events, the NBA, though the offseason, is quickly coming to an end. is still dormant. But Steph Curry did manage to make the news this week by stating that he was the greatest point guard of all time, which is a statement that a lot of Fans have been starting to put out more and more online in which a lot of the older commentators have been quickly shooting down and have got to be on the side of the commentator shooting down that thought because, easy young fella, there exists a man by the name of Magic Johnson who is the greatest point guard of all time, bar none. I understand Why Steph Curry would say such a thing? I mean, any type of elite competitor, any type of competitor who's won two MVPs, four NBA championships, you don't get that way to that point without thinking you're the best. But that's where it becomes the job of the sports media, or just people who talk about sports in general, to give them a reality check. So consider this Steph Curry's reality check. He's great. He's easily a top five point guard of all time. A lot of people put him top two. I would put him third. I think Isaiah Thomas, I would rather have him on my team over Steph Curry. But that's a very unpopular opinion that I'm aware of. I just think that Isaiah Thomas is a much better defender, a much better passer, and a much better leader than Steph Curry. I just feel like that makes him better. Statistically, accomplishment-wise, absolutely not Steph Curry is by far the second most accomplished point guard of all time. And I don't even know if you can really debate that. If you're a Bob Cousy fan, you might could, because I believe he had six rings and two MVPs. But as far as the general media, between Steph and Magic. And I just don't really see the argument for Steph over Magic, if I'm being honest. I know a lot of people would say that He changed the game. Steph did. But you could very easily say the same thing about Magic Johnson. I mean, positionless basketball kind of got started with Magic Johnson. I mean, the 6'9 point guard who played all five positions in one game and won the finals MVP. Like Before him, I don't think any other player seriously – could have played all five positions to an elite degree. And when we look at the game now, you see people like Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic shooting three-pointers. You've got people like Russell Westbrook who are point guards getting double-digit rebounds. Like All of that can be, to some degree, attributed to Magic Johnson breaking the mold for what a point guard is and what a point guard looks like. So as much as you could say that Steph Curry changed the game by the three-point revolution, you could just as easily easily make that same argument for Magic based on his importance in furthering positionless basketball. Not to mention that Magic and Larry Bird saved the NBA. If it wasn't for them, there would be no Steph Curry because the league probably would have gone bankrupt due to the fact that sales were declining, the stars were all either having legal issues or simply not marketable, and then all of a sudden you get these two young, flamboyant in their own different ways, stars in the two major teams, and they had a rivalry that carried over from college to the NBA. You could not have booked a better duo to rebuild and rebrand and expand the NBA. Off of their backs than Maddie Johnson and Larry Bird. So all of that has nothing to do with the actual on-the-court ability or accomplishments. But for anybody trying to make the importance to the game as a whole argument for Steph, could very easily make that same argument, if not a better argument, for Magic. Because Steph doesn't have the whole save the game credentials that you could put at his feet like you can Magic. Now, getting to what they did on the court, Steph is by far the best shooter of all time. I don't know anybody that could argue that. I don't... I certainly wouldn't. Anybody that would, I'd love to hear it, but they'd probably get laughed out of the building if they tried to. That being said, Magic's the greatest passer of all time. Maybe not to the extent that Steph is the greatest shooter of all time, but there's certainly a big gap between Magic at one and whoever's number two, whether it's John Stockton, Isaiah Thomas, whatever. And if we're talking point guards, that is the key distinguisher of what makes, like what the job of a point guard is, is to lead the offense and to distribute and get all your teammates involved. And you can say that Steph does this in other ways, such as creating shots, opening up the floor, this, that, and the other. But being a scorer, at least to me, doesn't really do much in the way of being a great point guard. It's great. It never hurts to be a good scorer. But saying that he's the greatest point guard because he's the greatest shooter of all time doesn't really make for a good argument, in my opinion. Also, Magic five rings to Steph's four I'm not a big fan of ring counting but I mean for those who do care he's got more rings he's got more MVPs he did it all in a shorter period of time Steph it really took a couple years for his career to get started whereas Magic hit the ground running with the ring and a finals MVP as rookie season Steph and Magic both have famous choke jobs Magic notably became tragic Johnson as he dribbled out the clock in the NBA Finals game. And Steph blew a 3-1 lead against the Cavaliers. But I think Steph's is a much more egregious error than Magic. Steph's was a prolonged choke over three games, whereas Magic just had a momentary lapse of judgment in one game. Magic was a better rebounder. I think that his team, at its peak, is arguably the greatest basketball team of all time. I would take that 87 Lakers team over the death lineup Warriors team, which is a crazy take at face value. But I think once you break it down, it actually does hold more weight. If you look at just the starting five, you got Magic, Byron Scott, James Worthy, I can't remember who their power forward was, off the top of my head. It was probably AC Green or Kurt Rambis and Kareem. But really, the power forward doesn't matter that much. Versus the stretch five lineup of Steph, Clay, Iggy, KD, Draymond, or Draymond KD, whichever one they did at the time. I think Steph's better than Matt, or Magic is better than Steph. Byron Scott isn't as good as Clay, but James James Worthy matches up against Kevin Dur- or Iggy a lot better. Whoever's a power forward versus KD, they're probably getting smoked, but Kareem is also smoking Draymond like nobody's business. And if they do put KD at the five, he ain't posting up on Kareem. I mean, he'd shoot jumpers all day, which, I mean, granted, He could probably take Kareem's ankles without problem. But he'd also have a 7-2 defender in his grill. So it'd be pretty tough, I think, for the Warriors in a matchup with the 87 Lakers. And much more tougher than people would like to think. But who knows how that would go. That's just another reason I think Magic's the greatest point guard of all time. He's the best passer. He's got five rings. He's got four MVPs. He helped save the game. He revolutionized the game. And in addition to that, he was also a better passer. I already said passer, but he was a better rebounder and just as poor of a defender as Steph Curry is. So for all those reasons, I've got to say, Steph Curry, you just false. Now, in other news, college football starts next weekend. And... It's time to get excited because, as we know, the biggest sport in America, except for professional football, is college football. Now, next weekend, some of the games we have to look forward to. We've got Georgia versus TN Martin, we've got Alabama versus Middle Tennessee, South Carolina versus UNC, we've got Wisconsin versus Buffalo. And we've got Texas versus Rice. So I mean, Ohio State versus Indiana as well. Not exactly the prestigious NBA Christmas Day matchups, but when is opening weekend in NCAA football ever to that extent? I, which I really can't stand how the NCAA schedule is laid out. I think it's ridiculous that there are feeder games. If it were up to me, the SEC would only play the SEC during the regular season, and they would play every SEC team. And whoever has the best two records at the end of it, if you want to go four teams, you have a little mini SEC playoff, winner of that goes to the national tournament, and so on for every other conference. That way it actually matters and it's who you beat in your own division and all of that and it's not just up to the AP poll and some secretive selection process. That's really just comes down to judgment and how people feel. I don't think that any kind of sports playoff should be determined just by your gut, like, who makes the playoffs. Like It should be based off of wins and losses against competition and who's the best team. Like, last year... TCU making it in over Alabama is ridiculous. Yes, TCU had the better schedule. Not better schedule, better season. But we all know if Alabama played TCU that they would have wiped the floor with them. Just like Georgia wiped the floor with TCU at the national championship. Do I think that Alabama would have beat Georgia for the national championship? No, I really don't. But it would have been a lot more fun to watch and a lot more of a competitive matchup than Georgia versus TCU. I think that game was an embarrassment. And if anything points to the fact that college football really needs to readjust how they determine the playoffs, it's that. And by how they fix it, I don't mean expand the playoffs, just to include more meaningless teams. And yeah, it would have been great if Alabama got to slide in because they expand it to two more teams. But really just take the crappy TCU teams out. Have it to where... At, there are so many different college football conferences. Each conference sends somebody. It's like any other sport playoff. I don't know why the NCAA does it so differently. And I wish they'd stop. But they make money doing it the way they do. So that's the system we're stuck with. I think Georgia has a cakewalk schedule. The only shot they have of losing the games at Tennessee... So, I don't, I don't think they'll 3 just because that would be unheard of. But, it'll have to be Ohio State, Michigan, or Alabama that beats them. And it's pretty much, I feel like the last five years or so, the college football playoff bracket has pretty much been the same teams over and over. I mean, I guess you could say that with any sport. But the fact only four teams are in the playoffs makes it a lot more noticeable in college football but opening weekend it'll be fun it'll be exciting sit back turn on espn game day eat your popcorn or your ribs or your fried chicken or whatever sunday meal you choose or saturday afternoon cookout meal you're doing and have a good time it's going to be a bunch of cake walks but it's better than weekend with no football on to the pros they have a little bit more of a time until they get started, but it's getting closer and closer every day when opening week starts. We got two weeks opening day for the NFL's Chiefs and Lions, which is a strange opening day selection because, don't get me wrong, like Lions, they're all right, but to start off the season, that just doesn't scream excitement to me. I was like, I think the the NBA is probably the best marketed league of all three of the pro sports leagues. I mean, the NFL doesn't really need to market itself that well. They could put the two worst teams in the league on for opening day, and they'd still get, like, tens of millions of views. But from a pure excitement standpoint, I think they could have done, I don't know, Jets versus Chiefs. They could have done chiefs versus eagles in the super bowl rematch all kinds of different things chiefs bengals they've had a nice rivalry going but no we get chiefs lines for some reason but the teams to watch this year in the nfl obviously the chiefs you've got the jets with aaron Rodgers, the Bengals and the eagles i think those would be the big four the jets are a wild card but I trust Aaron Rodgers to, at the very least, make them competitive. And hopefully he can have as good a season with the Jets as Tom Brady did with the Buccaneers. Maybe it'll be what it need, what it takes to rejuvenate him. I know him and the Packers have been on the outs for a while. So hopefully this gets his gears back going. And we can see MVP Aaron Rodgers once again. Also, the Ravens. I don't know if they'll be that good. Levi gave all his reasons last week for why he thought they wouldn't. But they'll be fun to watch. And who knows? Maybe they could sneak in the playoffs and make something happen. But on the whole, I think this is probably one of the more competitive NFL seasons that we've had in a while. I mean, the Chiefs are probably the clear front runners to repeat, but as we know, the NFL is the hardest see hardest league to repeat and go on multi-year championship runs in, so anything can happen. Don't don't count out the Bills either. My early playoff predictions are that the AFC East It'll either be the Bills or the Jets. I don't think the Dolphins or the Patriots really stand a chance. Also, how in the world are the Dolphins in the same conference as the Bills, the Patriots, and the Jets? All three teams that are pretty much within the same specific region of the country. And the Dolphins are all the way down the East Coast. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense but regardless, I guess I've never just sat down and looked at what teams are in what conferences before. Chiefs are making it out of the West. AFC North, Bengals. AFC South, that one's a toss-up. I don't think it really matters, to be quite honest. I mean, all of these teams are pretty much just mid. But if I had to go out on a limb, I would say the Titans. And then we go on to the NFC, Eagles are going to make it out of the East. Cowboys fans probably think they have a shot, but they'll be shocked or jolted into reality just like they are every other season. The West, I'm thinking it'll come down to the Cardinals or the Rams, but I'll have to go with the Cardinals. I think they can pull it out, though. And that's pro- This is probably one of the most up-in-the-air conferences or divisions that there are. Because the 49ers, too, they've got Brock Purdy, Trey Lance. Uh, they got some interesting pieces down there. But if I had to go out on a limb now, which I'm making myself do, I'd go with the Cardinals. NFC North. Hmm. I'm honestly going to take the Packers here. I think getting Aaron Rodgers out of the way will be a good chance for them to. Ah, no. i, uh, nah, I got to go with the Vikings. But I do think that. The Packers will have a surprisingly good season. Maybe Jordan Love will get off to a good start with his first year being the starter. Then NFC South, the worst conference in football, division in football. I'll go with this. I'm torn between the Panthers or the Saints. I'll go with the Saints, but I'm not going to hold myself to that. But Super Bowl prediction, I'll take the Bengals. Like I said, the Chiefs are the clear favorites, but I think that the Bengals have a good chance to shock the maybe not shock the world, because they do have previous experience in the Super Bowl and in the championship games. But I think the Chiefs will not repeat this year, and I'm calling the Bengals. Now, there has been some good highlights come out of the preseason so far. I know Aaron Rodgers made a heck of a pass so far this uh, offseason. It was trending on X earlier. I just learned that Twitter got rebranded as X, and I don't really get why they would do that, but interesting to say the least. Apparently, that happened a while ago, and I'm just really late to the party, but... Curious, curious move on Elon Musk's part. Because often the Jaguars had to have a game suspended after Daywood Davis's injury. He had to leave the game in a stretcher. He's rookie, which is really sad to have his NFL career already get started with a visit from the injury bug. So hopefully he makes a good recovery. But you hate to see injuries already taking a toll. On teams before the season even starts, but that's every NFL season. It comes with the business of football. The Patriots cut 11 players, so Bill Belichick will currently be making Vince McMahon jealous by his ability to do spring cleaning. None of the players are very notable, but still that's not something you want to see right before the season starts. It just shows... Even more evidence that ever since Brady's left, the Patriots are just kind of in shambles. Bill Belichick seemed like he based his whole post-Brady career on Jimmy Garoppolo. And then when Jimmy Garoppolo got traded away, he kind of got caught with his britches down. And then Brady left and he had no plan with which to regroup and rejuvenate his team. Which... He's still the greatest, one of the two greatest coaches of all time. Shout out Vince Lombardi. But you would hope to see more foresight out of the legendary coach that he just hasn't seemed to have so far. He doesn't have the best pieces. He's going the slow route. And maybe his draft decisions will pay off in the long run. I'm Matt Jones, some other young pieces, but I don't foresee them coming to fruition before he retires so as far as career success post brady i don't see a lot coming down belichick's pipe and aaron Donalds is doing all right in the preseason so far hopefully he can have a better season than what happened last year i know the rams kind of fell off from their super bowl performances but maybe we could have a return to their championship form and add another top contender back into the mix. On to the MLB, the Brewers have been on an eighth-game win streak, and they seem to be getting a hot start right as playoff season is about to come to its yearly emergence. The best stand division is still the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Orioles locked in there. Not the Yankees, the um, Orioles, the Rays locked in their head-to-head. Also, that's what it was. The Astros, the Rangers, and the Mariners are in pretty much a three-way tie for first in the AL West. The Mariners are up technically because they've lost less games, but as far as wins, they're tied with the Rangers and one behind the Astros. But at the moment, the Astros and the Rangers are both .5 games back. Meanwhile. The Braves are just completely dominating the NL East. And the Dodgers are pretty much at the same level of dominance in the West. The East comes down to the Braves and the Dodgers. And or the National League comes down to the Braves and the Dodgers. And the American League is pretty much just the Orioles, the Rays, and everybody else. The Braves are currently 84-44. and 44. Which is the best record in baseball, so hopefully they ride that momentum into the playoffs. They've won eight of the last ten games, so they're on a bit of a roll right now. This is the perfect time to pick up. They're currently playing the Dodgers, and they should have a fairly good time in this series. I know they've—I mean, not the Dodgers, the Giants. They've won the last two. Pretty convincingly, I expect they'll win this one as they continue to make their way towards playoffs. As far as major competition, they do have a series with the Dodgers coming up this week. That could be a good indicator of the NLCS. I'm expecting that the Braves will probably take it. It's a four-game series, I believe. So I would say either the Braves take it 3-1 to one, or it's a split series 2-2. Two to two. I don't see the Dodgers beating the Braves, but, I mean, you never know. It could happen. But, yeah, that's what's going on in the world of sports today. I mean, it's getting interesting. Oh, how could I forget? AEW had the biggest wrestling show From a non-WWE company of all time today to a very packed crowd at Wembley Stadium, they had 81,000 people in attendance. Some of the highlights included MJF beating Adam Cole, Will Ospreay beating Chris Jericho, Darby Allin and Sting beating Swerve, Strickland, and Christian in a coffin match, and CM Punk beating Samoa Joe by pinfall. Also, FTR beat the Young Bucks. So, a lot of interesting developments on this show. The most interesting, though, occurred behind the scenes where CM Punk and Jungle Boy got into an altercation following Jungle Boy's match on the pre-show. He made a joke about CM Punk during the match, and afterwards, Punk took offense and walked up to talk to him about it from the reports that are out now. Jungle Boy pushed Punk, and Punk retaliated by choking him out, if one rumor is to be believed. So, that'll the backstage situation at AEW is just ridiculous right now. There's pretty much a civil war going on between Punk and the Elite, and... Tony Khan, if he's any type of owner or leader in that company, just needs to nip it in the bud. You have two executive vice, three executive vice presidents, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, refusing to sit down and put aside their differences for the betterment of the company and taught to CM Punk. Now, Punk has certainly not been an angel in this by any means. He's probably the number one, Potster in the company right now i mean as far as the altercation with jungle boy goes i can't blame it on him from what it sounds like he was just defending himself but he hasn't helped by shooting on adam page after collision last week by posting cryptic stuff on social media all the time tony khan needs to lay down the law knock their heads together and get them to put this ridiculousness aside for the betterment of the company because All In is supposed to be the shining achievement of AEW. It shows that they're not just an alternative to WWE, their competition. They put 80,000 people in an arena or stadium. And nobody's going to be talking about that coming out of their show. They're going to be talking about the drama between the elite and CM Punk. And that, that just can't fly. If you're going to try to position yourself as the top wrestling company in the world that wouldn't happen under Vince McMahon's watch because he runs a tight ship now it's to AEW's credit they don't run their ship as tight as Vince does because I mean who likes hearing the same scripted promos all the time and being micromanaged but they do need to tighten it up a little bit just so the inmates aren't running the asylum. So that's the biggest news story coming out of All In. That's the latest in the sports news this week, and we'll catch you all next time.